DW Africa Link Are you ready for the news making headlines across Africa and beyond? Then you are the right place. Hello and welcome to Africa Link with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And Eddie is here with me, Zaya Fröhlich. We are reaching you live on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and through our partner stations around the world. That's right. Coming up on the program, the Supreme Court of the UK has ruled that sending asylum seekers to Rwanda is unlawful and should not go ahead. A good day, both for refugees, also for recognizing the true situation of what's happening in Rwanda. The court recognized that Rwanda was not the actor that the uh, Tory government was putting forward in terms of rights respecting third country that would be suitable for hosting people. Also ahead, tensions are brewing between Ethiopia and Eritrea on who controls the Asap port. Could this lead to war? I don't think he would dare to invade Eritrea. He doesn't even have the capacity for that. The goal is economic and at the same time political. It gives him more support to stay on. The details are coming up after the world's news in brief. DW News. I'm Crispin Mwakidea with DW Africa Link News. Israel's military has said its forces are carrying out a precise and targeted operation against Hamas in Gaza's main hospital, Al-Shifa, after several days of fighting around the site. DW correspondent Rebecca Ritas is in Israel and brings us the latest. There are about 1,500 people we believe that are sheltering inside the hospital that aren't patients and they're in danger of being injured as well. We know that evacuating is proving very, very difficult. The Israeli military saying that they are willing to try to evacuate people. I was on a briefing call with them a little while ago and they said, you know, it's up to them, uh, not being specific about who they meant when they said them, but that it's up to them as to how and when and where they want, would like to, the people would like to be evacuated. So We've got a very complex situation and, of course, no international journalists are able to access Gaza, so very, very difficult to find out exactly what is happening on the ground. Meanwhile, the United Nations Security Council is due to vote later today on a draft resolution that calls for urgent and extended humanitarian pauses and corridors throughout the Gaza Strip to enable aid access. Britain plans to upgrade its migration deal with Rwanda to a treaty to alleviate legal concerns. That's according to Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He made the remarks after the country's Supreme Court ruled unlawful the scheme to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. The government has already been working in advance on a new treaty with Rwanda, which we will finalise in light of today's judgment, so to address the challenges that were raised. But let me say this again. If it becomes clear that our domestic legal frameworks or international conventions are still frustrating plans at that point, I am prepared to change our laws and revisit those international relationships. The British people expect us to do whatever it takes to stop the boats, and that is precisely what this government will deliver. Rwanda's government also criticised the ruling, saying it takes issue with the court ruling. You can get more on that story in today's DW Africa Link show. Authorities in Madagascar on Wednesday imposed a dusk to don curfew in Antananarivo on the eve of a presidential election that most opposition candidates are boycotting amid high political tensions. 11 million people are registered to vote in the country of about 30 million with a long history of disputed elections. You are listening to DW Africa Link News. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping meet today for the first time in a year at a high-stakes summit in San Francisco. 
The leaders of the world's two largest economies are set to discuss issues ranging from Taiwan, the war in Ukraine, artificial intelligence, among others. And finally, Senegalese opposition leader Ousmane Sonko has returned to prison after weeks of undergoing medical treatment in the hospital during a hunger strike. Sonko protests his detention charges are politically motivated. This comes just days before Senegal's Supreme Court is due to rule on whether Sonko can participate in the upcoming February 2024 election. The Electoral Commission removed his name from the country's voter rolls after his conviction on charges of corrupting youth earlier this year. For more news, visit DW.com. I'm Crispin Mwakideo. You're listening to DW's Africa Link program with me, Zaya Fröhlich. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We welcome your comments on the stories we are covering. I see Solomon, you call yourself noisemaker, but it's good. Make some noise on the page and uh, let your family and friends join us. And your comments are very welcome on the page. Rwanda is not happy with a UK Supreme Court ruling against sending asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda. The government in Kigali said it takes issue with a ruling that is not that it's not a safe third country. Yeah, now the argument being made by the UK Supreme Court is that the deal is illegal and does not comply with both UK and international laws. But both governments are trying to push back. The UK now wants to finalize a new treaty with Rwanda to address those concerns. For more on the ruling, I spoke to Lewis Madge, Central Africa Director for Human Rights Watch. This is good news. It's regrettable that the Tory government had to push it to the highest court. Uh, Other courts in the UK have already ruled this illegal. So uh, this is obviously a good day, both for refugees, also for recognizing the true situation of what's happening in Rwanda. What was the main argument proving that this was unlawful or illegal? Uh, the court recognized that the United Kingdom does, in fact, have a responsibility towards people who are trying to seek a better life and make in their way to the UK. And number two, uh, the court recognized that Rwanda was not the actor uh, that the uh, Tory government was putting forward in terms of a rights respecting third country that would be suitable for hosting people. Rwanda says they take issue with that ruling that stated that Rwanda is not a safe third country for asylum seekers. Rwanda feels strongly against this. What do you make of that? The Rwandan government has an image of its human rights record that simply doesn't match up with the facts on the ground. The fact is, is that illegal and unlawful detention are commonplace in Rwanda. The judiciary is not independent. Uh, Torture is used to extract information continually. Um, And, you know, as we've most recently demonstrated in a report in October, uh, Rwanda continues to export repression uh, transnationally towards dissidents uh, of the RPF, the ruling party, the Rwandan Patriotic Front, um, outside of its borders. So, you know, Rwanda can continue to say it's the most rights-respecting country on the continent. Uh, The facts just simply don't align with that. Mm. Also, just clarify this for us. Hasn't Rwanda received the money already? What happens now? It certainly did receive an initial tranche of money, uh, UK taxpayer dollars. Um, It was starting to build out some degree of infrastructure in terms of housing for these refugees and asylum seekers. My gut is telling me it's most likely buyer beware. Once that money's sent, it's most likely sent. We also understand that the UK government is saying that to allay court concerns on migration, they want to upgrade the Rwanda deal 
to a treaty. What difference will that make? I think it's still going to have the same effect as being illegal. I mean, they 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 initially wanted to go through an avenue of some type of side deal. Uh, now there's you know there's talk of trying to make it a more formal standing treaty. This would obviously not be something that they could get through quickly. Treaties take a lot of time. There's a degree of parliamentary oversight with regards to treaties. Thankfully, I do think this matter is closed for the time being. I think we're hearing some strong rhetoric about how we're looking into other options. Can the Rwandan government sue the UK government for breach of contract, so to speak? I do not anticipate that that will be an issue. From what we're seeing right now of the tweets coming from uh, spokespersons of the of, of the Rwandan government, they seem to just simply say this is a, a decision that the UK judicial system had to take, um, and that's their own that's their own issue. Um, but to your point earlier, they do take issue with the uh, characterization, the real characterization that Rwanda is not a, not a rights-respecting country. But I doubt there'll be lawsuits on the horizon, especially when you consider that beyond this deal, the UK is a major bilateral supporter to the government of Rwanda. Right. I was speaking to Louis Madge, Central Africa Director for Human Rights Watch. That's right. And we also ask you on our Facebook page, DW Africa, what do you make of this court decision? And there are quite a number of mm-hmm. comments on this, Eddie. Ibrima Sawa is saying the UK Supreme Court has delivered a wise and sympathetic judgment. Mm. Monsi Logistics says the inquiry should be posed directly to the esteemed Prime Minister himself. Uh, well, trying to connect uh, his roots to the UK. Well, hmm. okay. Moisiga Ivan is saying this prime minister of UK doesn't know what he's doing. He is an immigrant himself. So he should leave those people to settle in the UK because they are looking for a better life, just like his parents did. And just to clarify, this um, UK's prime minister, Rishi Sunak, was indeed born in Southampton in the UK. Yeah, I guess what people are saying is that his parents, you know, because there are people that were born there, but, you know, the, the, the origin of their parents as people would argue, are not originally from the UK. So that's what people mm-hmm. are saying, that if if your parents didn't have the chance to be there, then would you even be prime minister to be preventing others from going through? But I think it's also good to try to differentiate what's happening here. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky situation, Zelia, because Absolutely. they are talking about illegal movement into mm-hmm. the UK, right? Um, which is what a lot of countries are fighting against. Um, but then others are also arguing, well... It, be, it seems illegal because if people are running away from oppression or of any kind mm-hmm. and they now want to get to the any place where they feel safer, they are not even getting the chance to do so. So that's what is really keeping this discussion going on. But let us know your thoughts on our Facebook page, DW Africa. In some other stories making headlines, uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea, you remember they made peace in 2018, mm-hmm. formally ending their border conflict. But control of the Asap port, which serves both countries, has sparked new tensions and led to fears of fresh dispute. Mm, ending the conflict between both countries earned Abiy Ahmed the Nobel Peace Prize and the admiration of the world mm. indeed. But now there are emerging fears that all the gains made five years ago could soon be lost. Crispin Mwakideo has more. At the centre of these concerns is Ethiopia's quest to have access to a port on the Red Sea, specifically the port of Asab. It's located in Eritrea, which was part of Ethiopia, until it gained independence more than 30 years ago. Since 1998, Ethiopia's access to the port of Asab has been truncated due to a 20-year border war between the neighboring nations that killed tens of thousands of people. 
The conflict forced Ethiopia to channel its goods and other port-related trades through neighboring country of Djibouti, which borders both Ethiopia and Eritrea. Ato Yesuf Yassin is a political analyst in the Horn of Africa. When the Eritreans declared their independence, they were boasting about their ports, that they will use them for development. They were singing for their ports. A lot has been said about the significance of the port. But the main issue now is that neither Ethiopia nor Eritrea nor the people of Afar who live in and around the coastal areas benefit from the ports. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed said Ethiopia deserves a port of its own, which shouldn't come at a huge cost and has signaled his country's readiness to regain access to the Asab port. But Ato Abdurrahman Said, a political analyst on the Horn of Africa, told DW that Abiy's recent pronouncements are divisionary. For Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed to raise the issue of ports at this time might help him to divert the public's attention from internal, economic and military crises. It may have some political benefits besides this. But I don't think he would dare to invade Eritrea. He doesn't even have the capacity for that. Fidel Amaki Owusu, a conflict resolution and international relations expert, agreed. He told DW that Abiy is only trying to solidify his political position ahead of a general election, blaming a worsening economic situation on the fact that Ethiopia lacks support. Abiy now having uh, legitimacy issues and uh, issues with elections and how to be domestically strong now wants to, I mean, uh, pursue his own survival and that of his government. The goal is economic and at the same time political. Because when he's able to make economic gains for Ethiopia, it gives him more legitimacy, it gives him more support to stay on. Abiy enjoyed a significant amount of backing among Ethiopians for the war in Tigray between 2020 and 2022, which displaced millions of people. Eritrea supported his government during that particular conflict as an ally. But some experts warned tensions arising between the two countries. Crispin Mwakideo with that report. Yeah, on our Facebook page, DW Africa, we asked, how do you think Ethiopia and Eritrea could resolve their dispute? Well, Idao Kasanga David says Ethiopia must gain access to the port. Derek Atamugema says they can use it well as by the trade terms dictates, and so there should be no dispute at all. Mm. Mm. Salah, lawyer, lawyer, says Ethiopia and Eritrea are both brothers, as we know. So I recommend uh, to both countries to keep the shared responsibility with peace, to enhance security and maintain cooperation between them. Mm -hmm. And Fidel Alejandro Roningi is saying Ethiopia should be given access to the port on condition that it will pay its dues of port usage to Eritrea. Yeah, I mean, Zidia, if you listen to what uh, analysts are saying, Mm -hmm. they don't don't think that this is going to they hope at least that this is not going to get out of hand, escalate into some sort of conflict because these two countries have, have been fighting for a while until 2018 when they, they had uh, peace. So we'll, we'll keep tabs on this uh, brewing tension uh, between the two countries and keep you posted on our Facebook page, DW Africa. 
Absolutely. And in case you have just joined us, thanks for sticking um, <laughs> or coming to us. This is DW's <laughs> Africa Link program. And, and of course, of, for those who are already with us, thanks you for, thank you for sticking around. We have quite some of you on our live stream um, on Facebook. There is Chi Valentine from South Africa saying hello. Um, hello to you back. And I'm Zulia Fröhlich. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. The program is DW's Africa Link. Well, as Zulia said, we see you already <laughs> tuned in. You're connecting, telling us what you make of the stories that we are talking about. Let us know our top story, Zilia, right, has been uh, focused on the Rwanda-UK asylum court decision, which says that mm -hmm. it is illegal to send these asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda. Uh, meanwhile, the government is uh, still pushing back. UK government, I should say, is pushing back and wants to still find a way to make the deal come through. That is right. And coming up now, our colleague Isaac Mugabe is in Uzbekistan, where African delegates are calling on wealthy nations to take responsibility for excessive gas emissions. If I'm to address world leaders, I will tell them to pay attention. But we shouldn't wait until when there is a disaster. World leaders should pay attention to environmental issues so as to stop or to address more conflicts from happening. Mm -hmm. And we are also talking about South Africa, where the government plans to overall and simplify laws governing citizenship, immigration and refugee protection. Yeah, looking forward to that. But before we get into that, African delegates meeting at a land and decertification meeting in Uzbekistan are once again calling on developed nations responsible for excessive gas emissions to fulfill their commitments like the millions of dollars they promised Africa in funding projects to mitigate the effects of climate change. Africa contributes less gas emissions, but yet suffers the most. However, delegates are concerned that the world's worst polluters, that is the most industrialized countries, are yet to meet their obligations in paying up the bill for carbon emissions, which have had devastating effects in sub-Saharan Africa. DW's Isaac Mugabe, covering the conference in Uzbekistan, filed this report. Delegates from sub-Saharan Africa attending the UN Convention to Combat Land Degradation and Desertification in Uzbekistan have expressed disappointment once again in the slow funding for projects that would mitigate the impact of climate change on the continent. But with the ongoing Israel-Palestine war and the Russia-Ukraine war that has dragged on, delegates like Habiba Ibrahim, representing Nigeria, are concerned that world leaders are paying little attention to environmental issues and are now focused on the wars. The fact we said not actually enough attention because the, when you have issues of conflicts going around the world, your mind tends to go there. If I'm to address world leaders, I will tell them to pay attention. So, but we shouldn't wait until when there is a disaster. World leaders should, uh, well, we know conflicts, the wars all over the world is important, but we should also pay attention, they should also pay attention to environmental issues so as to stop or to address more conflicts from happening. Mohamed Jaite, the director of forestry in Gambia, is also worried that much of the funding developed countries in Europe and North America had promised has been diverted to support countries at war like Israel, Palestine and Ukraine and there is little hope that it will come in anytime soon. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, their attention is being divided now. Now, okay, then the funding, most of it now is somehow, I mean, uh, diverted, you know, to either solve, I mean, other internal problems because of the wars. Because you'll see that the Ukraine, I mean, the Russia war affects all, all the countries. 
you know so before i mean they're pledging out the monies or the monies that they have pledged they have not yet i mean uh, completed the uh, yeah if i should meet them i will tell them to at least uh, pay more attention to i mean the land degradation and decertification agriculture is the backbone of africa's livelihoods and national economies but its agricultural productivity growth has declined drastically a case is Nigeria's Plateau State and other northern states where overgrazing has led to land degradation and desertification. Habiba Ibrahim further explains how her country is dealing with the situation. Nigeria is or has been doing a lot to deal with uh, land degradation and desertification because we have to. A greater part of our land, especially almost 20 states in the northern part of Nigeria, is being affected by desertification, drought, and land degradation. So, and it's affecting lives, it's affecting food security, it's uh, the impact of climate change now associated with the land degradation, desertification we're talking about, is really becoming a reality. So we are uh, forced by the reality to address the issue. From the Central African Republic to Somalia and Sudan, fragile states suffer more from floods, droughts, storms and other climate-related shocks than other countries when they have contributed the least to climate change. According to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, more than 110 million people on the African continent were directly affected by weather, climate and water-related hazards in 2022, causing more than $8.5 billion in economic damages. Isaac Mugabe on the ground for us there, giving us all the details. Now, South Africa's government has published a white paper to establish a process for foreign nationals to obtain residency and citizenship in South Africa. The white paper proposes that South Africa temporarily withdraw from two international agreements as the country does not have the resources to grant their socioeconomic rights to refugees envisaged. The country is grappling with a 32% unemployment rate and xenophobic violence. Among the proposals is an overall of a nightmare immigration system that includes 17 different types of visas. According to government data, the country is home to 5 million migrants and 20,000 undocumented migrants are arriving annually. And also immigration emerges as a critical issue ahead of the 2024 general elections. I spoke to Zion Johnson from our partner stations Cape Talk and asked him what exactly the white papers entail. Celia, the the white paper actually proposes South Africa's sort of temporary withdrawal uh, from two very big international agreements on refugee protection. And this is the, the 1951 United Nations Refugee Convention, as well as the 1967 UN protocol relating to the status of refugees as South Africa does not have the resources to grant the socioeconomic rights to refugees. And I think that the, the crunch has come to a year where South African government, and especially our minister, Aaron Watswaledi, uh, is starting to ask a question. He says, are we actually able to financially, uh, you know, underscore the refugee crisis that we have in South Africa? Zane, let's go a little bit deeper into this. What could these new changes mean for migrants who are already in South Africa or who are planning to come? The white paper at the moment is to establish a policy framework to guide the introduction and implementation of new policies and legislation aimed at sort of transforming the South African public service. So there'll be a big sort of shake up in immigration laws. We are sitting with a huge problem in terms of 
illegal miners in South Africa. And those illegal miners, also known as Zamazamas, form a big part of, of, of this particular protocol. Among some of those proposals, uh, the first one is a repeal of South Africa's citizenship Refugee and Immigration Acts to be replaced with a singular law. It's supposed to be immigration. Then you become a citizen of the country after a number of years. And then after that, you obviously become a resident of the country. But when you have illegal immigrants, this doesn't happen. So an overall of a nightmare immigration system that sort of includes 17 different types of visas, border management, citizenship, and immigration laws needs to be streamlined in in the country. And we can't do this unless we withdraw from the 1951 convention and the 1967 protocols. Uh, We need to press a reset button is what the minister said. And you have already mentioned it. Um, I would like to talk about what are the implications if South Africa withdraws from the 1951 convention and the 1967 protocol, even if only temporarily. If South Africa withdraws, it would probably be very detrimental, not only for South Africa, but it would also be detrimental for the refugees who are currently in South Africa. There will be a huge outcry internationally in terms of the withdrawal from the 1951 convention and that 1967 protocol, because you would have unprotected refugees and you'll have unprotected migrants in your country for instance, will not be afforded the necessary protection by these two protection convention and protocols. Could other countries possibly follow South Africa's example? I think this is the issue because if you look at Sudan, you look at uh, a number of the other countries, you know, Rwanda, and if we start tightening up with our laws, I think that a number of other countries on the African continent will also have a look at this and say, we can afford to take X amount of people because I think this is what the European countries did. And the key thing is, is that you don't want refugees to be in your country and you're not able to provide them with healthcare services, provide them with the necessary food, just the basic things that uh, the public service needs to provide for them. Zane Johnson from the South African radio station Cape Talk. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the interaction. Uh, if you have any comments on that, go to our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now, to round up the day, we're taking a step into the world of the rich and famous. I'm talking about showbiz. Mm-hmm. And we have quite some news coming from Nigeria today, and that's not very surprising. But the man who knows more about this is our very own Michael Oti. Thanks, Eddie and Zelia. And I'm going to start off with the latest Guinness World Record in a rather interesting category. Nigerian Helen Williams, a wig maker from Lagos, has entered the Guinness World Records by creating the world's, and hear this, longest handmade wig. The wig measures an outstanding 351.28 meters, and Helen dedicated 11 days and nearly $2,500 to craft it. Helen, after constructing the underlay with wake cap netting and black fabric attached to a bicycle helmet, completed the headpiece using 1,000 bundles of hair, 12 cans of hairspray, 35 tubes of hair glue, and more than 6,000 hair clips. Just imagine the amount of work. You know what one of her biggest challenges was? Finding a space to lay out the wig in a straight line and measure it accurately because none of the venues she visited, including several running tracks, were long enough to accommodate it. Just imagine 351.28 meters. 
Now, looking into the world of music, Nigerian singer and rapper Rima has become the latest Afrobeat star to sell out the 20,000 capacity O2 Arena in London, UK. The concert last night, which happened on 14th November, as part of his world tour, places the artist in the ranks of Benaboy, Wizkid, Davido, and recently Ashake, among Nigerian stars to have sold out the venue. This is deepening his reputation as an emerging leader within the genre. Raymond was joined on stage by Grammy-nominated songstress Aya Star, Magix, and Crayon. Why does this matter? Well, the O2 Arena has also become a global touchpoint for Afrobeat's success. Ahead of his big night, Rima acknowledged Benna Boy for providing him with a glimpse of the O2 Arena when he invited him to perform at Benna Boy's headline concert in 2021. And still in Nigeria, Super Eagles and Nottingham Forest striker Taiwo Awoni has been named in an iconic list of the best strikers in the English Premier League by British media organization Talk Sports. According to Talk Sports, Awoni played an instrumental role in helping Nottingham Forest escape relegation last season, banging in crucial goals. The Nigerian international made history, becoming the third African player to score in seven consecutive matches in the Premier League. Yeah, that's a lot of goals to score. And that's all for today. Back to you guys in the studio. Thanks, Michael. Michael talking about striker scoring goals reminds me of those days. The good old days <laughs> when I used to bang in goals for fun. Really? I can't actually imagine you doing that. But what hey, you, hey. What do you mean? Oh, I mean, if you say so. I mean, I, I, I don't look like someone so. who couldn't score goals. <laughs> well, maybe it's because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would probably not hit the goal. Like, yeah. um, I have to admit, that's not my strength. Yeah. No. I mean, I also had uh, with the showbiz, the, the lady with the very long hair. Yeah, mm. something like 350 meters no I, mean, <laughs> I can't imagine brushing that it's just yeah anyway share your thoughts with us on facebook at dw africa as always it's a pleasure when you share your time with us i am eddie micah jr and i'm zia Fulich. dw mid for minds